I am like busting at the seams uh, to get to teach this end time series. And for the last, you know, when I went to Bible college, it was in 1980-something. And um, it was, uh, <laughs> I, I remember, you know, starting to study end times then. And, uh, you know, throughout the time here that I've been here at Fellowship, uh, just, you know, studying it, but never really feeling the release from the Lord to, to actually teach it. And it wasn't until recently where I really felt the leading of the Holy Spirit and the staff. And Pastor Dan really felt like, hey, look, this is the time and this is the setting to be able to do so. And so uh, I'm very pumped about it because I don't believe that we are just living in the end times. I believe we are at the end times. We are, we are at the end times, and that's what this study is really going to be about, is understanding where we're at and, and what we need to do in response to that. Now, I think that, though, to start off, we've got to make sure that uh, we all are, are 100% uh, um, believing in the authenticity and the accuracy of Scripture. There's been kind of a movement that's going around culturally throughout the world that's kind of like, well, the Bible's good, and there's a lot of really good stuff in it, but it's not kind completely accurate. And, and you know, uh, some of the things that y- you can do and some of the things you don't, you don't really need to do because, you know, now we've advanced as a culture. So some of that stuff is kind of outdated. And, and you know, some of those pro- prophets, you know, they're kind of like Nastradamus. They got some right. They, they didn't get some right. And so that's kind of this, this just belief that's out there. And so what we have to understand coming into this is that we have to know that the Bible is 100% accurate, that the prophecies, prophecies in the scripture are 100% accurate. And it is phenomenal. The amount of prophecies that have been foretold in the scripture 2,500, 3,000 years ago that have come true and come to fruition to 100% accuracy. In the book of Daniel alone, chapter 11, there's 135 prophecies that have been fulfilled to the detail. One chapter. When we read about the prophecies of Jesus, there were 300 prophecies about Jesus that all came true. And what I want to do tonight, just to start off, just so we really can grasp and wrap our mind around that concept, is listen to... uh, a teaching by John Bevere. Uh, this comes out of his Good or God series. And I, I want us to just listen to it. It's only about eight or nine minutes long. And it really, really helps us to, to grasp the authenticity uh, and just 100% accuracy of prophecy in Scripture. So what is the standard of good that we are to trust in? Did you ever stop and think about it? What's our standard? Well, 2 Timothy, Paul, the very last letter that he writes before he goes to heaven, says this. All scripture. Everybody say, all scripture. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, or we could say good. To make us realize what is wrong, bad in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, bad, and teaches us to do what is right or good. Now look what he says, all scripture. Say it again, all scripture. scripture. He's not saying some scripture. He says all scripture. Now this is the way I look at it, you know. Either all scripture is inspired of God, or we've got a flawed book. Because if scripture says all scripture is inspired by God, then I can't just choose and pick and throw things out. So let's talk about the Bible. The Bible is composed of 66 books, correct? Written in various different languages, at least three languages that we know of, over a span of 1,500 years. 
four human beings authored those books over that span of 1,500 years in three different continents. You've got men from all different walks of life writing the same book over 1,500 years in different languages on different continents. You've got fishermen. You've got shepherds. You've got military men. You've got kings. You've got a medical doctor. You've got a tax collector. You've got a tent maker and other unique individuals. The unity of the theme found throughout these different books is remarkable. It'd be kind of like if you had a committee and you told 44 authors over 1,500 years to write a novel. Could you even do that? I don't think you could. But the thing is, there was no committee. It was just 44 different men all throughout 1,500 years that wrote all these different books and all the books perfectly are in sync. Now, I want to take it one step farther. Let's look at the accuracy of the Bible. If you look at the Old Testament, there were 300 prophecies written about the coming Messiah. Now, some of these prophecies were written over a thousand years before Jesus was born. And they, these 300 predictions, prophecies, said things unique to the Messiah. Now, Jesus fulfilled all 300 of these prophecies. That in itself shows the accuracy of the scriptures. I know some people would argue and say, yeah, but there's other people that could have fit some of the prophecies. Maybe one, maybe two, but certainly not 300. There was a scientist. His name is Dr. Peter Stoner. In 1958, he published a book called Science Speaks. Dr. Stoner's book was approved by the American Board of Science. Dr. Stoner used over 600 science students to do his research. His research was probability. And so what Dr. Stoner did is he took eight of those predictions, eight of those prophecies. Number one, Christ is to be born in Bethlehem. Number two, he's going to be preceded by a messenger. Number three, he's going to ride in Jerusalem on a donkey. Number four, he's going to be betrayed by a friend. Number five, he's going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. The money for that silver is going to be thrown to a potter's field. Seven, Christ is going to be silent before his accusers. Eight. Christ is to be executed by crucifixion as a thief. He took those eight. And what they did is they did the science of probability of one man from the time of Christ till today, or up to his day, 1958, fulfilling all eight prophecies. Now, let me explain to you what the science of probability is. It's quite simple. If I have ten tennis balls, and I have nine yellow, fluorescent yellow tennis balls, and one white tennis ball... And I put all ten in a bucket and I shake up the bucket. And I blindfold somebody and say, put your hand in there and pick out a ball. The chance of them picking out the white ball is one in ten. Correct? Dr. Stoner and his 600 students determined that the chance of one human being fulfilling those eight prophecies is one in ten to the 17th power. Now you say, what? is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Put a 1 on your paper and write 17 zeros behind it. Now, I don't even know how to pronounce this number. It's gone beyond billion, so I'm, I'm, or trillion, I'm out of it. But there's 17 zeros behind this 1. Now, let me help you understand how big this number is. All right? I have a friend here 
Don, his wife Sherry, they're from Texas. Because what we're going to do is we're going to get some silver dollars. And we're going to get one to the 10 to the 17th power silver dollars. Okay? Now, and we're going to mark one of those silver dollars. Now, the problem we're going to have is we don't have any warehouse big enough to store them. Because let me tell you how many silver dollars that is. If you were to cover the entire state of Texas, two feet deep, you could store those silver dollars. The entire state, two feet deep. So one of them's marked, stir the whole thing up, blindfold a man, put him in a helicopter, (laughs) tell the man to land wherever you want him to land over the entire state of Texas. And the chances of that man getting out and picking that one silver dollar is one in 10 to the 17th power. Now that is the chance that any human being could fulfill just eight of those prophecies. Now, if we go just a little bit further, if we go to 16 of the 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, it doesn't, it's no longer 1 to the 10 to the 17th power. It's 1 in 10 to the 45th power. Now, it's going to be a little difficult. Just put a 1 on your paper and write 45 zeros. A little difficult to illustrate this one because if I take my silver dollar... We can't even contain it on the earth. Because if I had one to ten to the 45th silver dollars, I would get a ball of silver dollars that was so big, it would be 60 times greater than the earth's distance to the sun. Okay, so the diameter is 5.5 billion miles. To help you understand how big it is, you know, I fly around the earth in one day. Do you, do you know you can fly halfway around the earth in one day? 20, 22 hours, you can be on the other side of the planet. You can be in India in 22 hours. If we took off on a ball of silver dollars like that, it would, you couldn't do it because it'd take 400 years to fly around it nonstop. Now blindfold a man <laughs> and put him on that plane for 400 years and tell him, when to land, and don't forget, this is not two, two feet thick, the whole globe is silver dollars. He's got to find that one mark silver dollar. That's the chance that one person could fulfill 16 of the 300 prophecies. Jesus fulfilled all 300. Now do you know why... The book of Proverbs, chapter 30, verse 5, says every word of God proves true. I just want to end it with this. Consider a hypothetical situation. You're asked to cross a valley. In this valley are landmines, poisonous plants, sinkholes, quicksand, deadly, dangerous plants. Somebody hands you a map. And that map shows you where every sinkhole is, every quicksand pit is, every single poisonous plant is, every single landmine is. How would you handle it? Would you sit there and kind of glance at the map and then go on your journey? I guarantee you, they'll take you out of there in a body bag. Or would you study it out very carefully? And then as you go on your journey, having a place where you can easily reference it, and you can pull it out, and you can determine every bit of your journey so you get to the other side in one piece. Let me tell you something. This world is a landmine. And God's given us a map. Because the Bible says your word is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. And the question is, do we take it lightly? 
And do we look to him for his wisdom on what is the way of life? Or do we think that we know more than God and evaluate things according to our own personal judgment and end up like Eve? It's ours to decide, but I don't know about you, but I truly want to know what is good in God's eyes. Isn't that good? I mean, it's, it's just unfathomable. And other religions might be able to say that they're the religion, or they're the only true religion, but let them produce a book that has been 100% accurate for over 4,000 years and can foretell the future. They don't have it. And the reason that we have this book that foretells the future is because we worship a God who controls the future. And thousands of years ago, he told us what the end of the world was going to look like, and we're seeing it unfold before our very eyes. Now, when we start off into an end-time series, I need to make sure that that I'm going to be using some terms that you have to make sure that you understand. And so uh, I want to go over kind of a timeline with you. It just will take a second. And the terms that I'm going to write down here are, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard them before. But if you haven't, then make sure that you pay attention because we will refer back to this timeline uh, later on and throughout this series. So if we look at the timeline of the end times... We're going to find that at the end of what they call the tribulation period, which is seven years, this tribulation period is the last years that, that any human will be on this earth, okay? So a seven-year tribulation at the end of the tribulation is the Battle of Armageddon. You may have heard of that term before. This is where all the armies of the world march against Israel. After the end of the tribulation, after the Battle of Armageddon, is a thousand-year reign of Jesus on earth, and this is called the Millennium. You may have heard that before. Okay, The beginning of the tribulation is what I believe is the rapture. Now, I know some of you right now, you're going, oh, gosh, oh, you know, I, I kind of believe that the, the rapture is going to come maybe in the middle of the tribulation, like three and a half years in. That's me. Or, I don't know. I kind of believe the tribulation or the rapture is going to happen at the end of tribulation. Well, I believe, and, and, and a lot of this study is going to show and prove that the rapture comes at the beginning of the tribulation. And when we all go to heaven, you can come up and apologize to me for being wrong <laughs> about when the rapture is going to come. But I believe that we're right here. We're very close. And we're going to see that as we, as we study this. Another term that we're going to look at is the Temple Mount. Which is also called the Dome of the Rock. Um, it's called Al, um, Al-Aqsa by the Muslims. And the Temple Mount is where the temple used to be that held God's presence. The tabernacle, the temple that was built. Now there is a Muslim mosque called, called Al-Aqsa. And that is uh, uh, what, what basically inhabits that area that used to be the temple. And we're going we're gonna to be talking about that. And three and a half years into the tribulation period, after we've been raptured, the Antichrist is going to defile the temple. He's going to set himself up as God in the temple on the temple mount. 
And that's going to happen midway through the tribulation. The first three and a half years is called the tribulation. The second three and a half years is called the great tribulation because the second half of the years is when a lot of the seal judgments are going to be broken and basically it's going to be hell on earth. Horrible things are going to begin to happen, and we'll actually talk about uh, those things as we continue on into this series. But know that we're going to refer back to these things as we go on, okay, as, as, we, as we continue uh, in this series. But tonight, and this six weeks that we're going to be getting together, we're going to be looking at what we call signs of the end times. The signs that are happening right now. Uh, in, our, in Israel, in our culture, in the timeline, in technology, that points to the fact that we're living in the end of days. And the first thing we're going to talk about tonight is the signs in Israel. That's what the whole theme of tonight is going to be, is the signs in Israel that are going on right now that point to the fact that we're in the end times. And here's some facts about Israel we need to understand. Israel is the only nation that was ever created by God. The scripture says in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Then the Lord told Abram, who became Abraham, Leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. It's the only country, the only nation that God created. Secondly, they're in an everlasting covenant with God. These people, these Israelites, are in an everlasting covenant with him. Genesis 17, 4. This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of not just one nation, but a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. I will no longer be Ab- you will no longer be Abram. Now you will be known as Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will give you millions of descendants who will represent many nations. Kings will be among them. I will continue this everlasting covenant between us, generation after generation. It will continue between me and your offspring forever, and I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Yes, I will give all this land of Canaan to you and to your offspring forever, and I will be there God. Now, when he says that I will give you this land of Canaan, Canaan was the land where, where now Israel is, where Israel was uh, in the Old Testament before it was overthrown by Assyria. Now, when you say the word Israel, you're not only speaking about a land, but you're speaking about a people. Okay, so Israel was the name. He was the father, basically, of Israel. So his father of Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Joseph, and then uh, and Israel became a people not only that, not only not only people, but then became a nation. And God loves all the people in the world, but He loves the Jews because He has a special covenant with them. Special covenant. And you guys say, well, he, a lot of the Jews rejected His Son. Doesn't matter. When God makes a covenant, it's binding. We talk about that in spiritual warfare. We talk about don't don't make vows. Watch it. You know, watch the covenants you make because God takes them seriously and He makes them binding. And he has that kind of relationship with his children in Israel. Number three, Israel and the Jews have blessed the world more than any nation on earth. Genesis 12, 3 says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So he says, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. That's why you got to be very careful about making fun of the Jewish people, making fun of the Jewish race, speaking against them. Because the scripture says right there, don't speak against my children. If you do, you will be cursed. Now, there's three gifts that the Jews have given us, three specific ones. The first is they gave us the most important man in in human history, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus was a Jew. 
He was a Jew. So to be anti-Semitic would mean that you reject Jesus. And, and now anti-Semitic, of course, means that you're against Jews, uh, uh, that you don't like them, you will persecute them. And so you can't be a Christian and persecute God's people. Just, it's, you can't be Christ-like and persecute who Christ was. It's, it, it doesn't work. Secondly, they gave us the most important book in the world, and every word that is written in it is written by a Jew. Every author was Jewish in the Bible. And then number three, they gave us the church. When the first church began, 100% of the members were Jews. The most important man, the most important book, the most important organization in history, all from the Jews. God has blessed all man through the Jewish race. That's why it's so important that we look to Israel when we look to the end times, because it all really rotates around what is happening over there in the Middle East. Number four, Israel is God's prophetic super sign and stopwatch. This is when it gets good, okay? They are, they, they are the prophetic super sign and stopwatch for us when we're looking for the end times. Now, we're going to read a prophecy in Joel chapter 2 that, ha- that was prophesied thousands of years ago that is coming true today. Joel chapter 2, verse 31 and 32. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon will turn blood red before that great, day, great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There will be people on Mount uh, Zion in Jerusalem who, who will escape, just as the Lord has said. These will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. Joel chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Here's another prophecy. At that time, when I restore the prosperity of Judah and Jerusalem... And this is talking about when Israel became a nation in 1948 because uh, uh, the Israelites were spread all over the world. And then in 1948, he brought them back together, says the Lord, verse 2, I will gather the armies of the world into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat means Jehovah has judged. And this scripture is talking about the battle of Armageddon, the, the final battle where all the armies of the world come against Israel to try to destroy her. There I will judge them for harming my people, for scattering my inheritance among the nations, and for dividing up my land. They cast lots to decide which of the people would be their slaves. They traded young boys for prostitutes and little girls for enough wine to get drunk. We'll explain exactly what that prophecy means here in just a second. There are four fulfilled prophecies in these passages that we're looking at right now. Four four prophecies that have been fulfilled in these scriptures that we're going to read right here. The first is the rebirth of Israel in 1948 and the regathering of the Jews. So in 1948, after the persecution of the Jews, six million Jews were, were, were slaughtered and, and, and killed during the Holocaust. And as a result of that, the world um, uh, felt bad for the Jewish race. They felt bad for the Israelites. So they allowed them to have Canaan back allowed them to have their own nation or their own state again. Okay, so that happened in 1948. Okay, so some of you remember that. Some of you were alive for that. The second fulfilled prophecy we see is the division of the land of Israel. Okay, so once the, the, the world gave this land back to Israel, they have since been trying to divide it back up again. And the United Nations have censured and rebuked Israel more than all the other nations of the world combined. They have. They have labeled them as a racist state, which is part of the end times prophecy. 
They say, you, are, you Jews, you're racist against the Palestinians. You're racist against the Jordanians. You're, they're labeling them as racist. And they are clearly, the United Nations is clearly against the country of Israel. The UN, and unfortunately America, have forced Israel to give up what they call land for peace. You've heard that term before. They want to give land up to the Palestinians, the world does, so that they'll have peace in the Middle East. And Israel keeps giving up land, but there is no peace. When the Palestinians get, get more land and get closer to the Israelites, they just have a closer spot to shoot missiles at them. That's basically the case. And so these, these people hate each other and have hated each other since Esau. It's happened, you know, for thousands of years. And giving them land is not going to fix it. And it's interesting that in 2005, the United States forced Israel out of the Gaza Strip to give to the Palestinians. In 2005. Now, I know a lot of people think, well, you know, Obama's just getting us in all this mess. And Obama, it's all Obama's fault. Obama wasn't president in 2005. So this has been happening for a while. And it's been happening under the U.S.'s watch. Now, what other significant event happened in America in 2005? Do you remember? Any idea? Hurricane Katrina. <clears throat> Hurricane Katrina happened seven days after the United States forced Israel to give up the Gaza Strip. Jewish rabbis went on record to say that that was God's judgment against America. Now, whether or not it was, I don't know, but it makes sense. What God is saying here is happening in Libya right now. The United Nations and the United States of America are trying to force a two-state solution upon Israel. A two-state solution means they're trying to force them to recognize the Palestinians as a state. And understand that there is a, there is a conglomerate of Palestinian leaders that are terrorists. They're terrorists. And it's really easy for America halfway across the world to say, just give them more land. These people want to kill the Israelites. They want to kill the Jews. So to give them more land is not going fi to fix anything. It's just going to make things worse. And why would Israel want to recognize somebody that doesn't recognize them? And, and why, are they, why is everybody in the world trying to force them to give up their land to a bunch of terrorists? Now, not all Palestinians are terrorists, but a lot of them are, and many of their leaders are terrorists. God says in Joel chapter 2, I'm going to bring back my people from all over the world, gather them together, and judge those that would come against them. Now, isn't it interesting that the whole world is trying to divide up this tiny piece of land in the Middle East? Isn't that weird? Israel is so small. Like Israel, my, I mean, Maine is bigger than Israel. It's this little piece of land, and yet it has all of this drama. It has all of these people that are trying to come, in, uh, come against it. And it's um, remarkable that of, of all these things, they were prophesied over 2,000 years ago, and we're getting to see these things unfold in front of our eyes on the news every evening. It's happening. Zechariah 12, verse 2 says, I will make Jerusalem and Judah like an intoxicating drink to all the nearby nations that send their armies to besiege Jerusalem. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone. You might go, what, what, what does he mean by that? A heavy stone means that they are, it, it's an impossible political situation. A burden of the world, the scripture says, none of the nations who try to lift it will escape unscathed. It's 
It's impossible. The political situation, the environment there, it, it, it's impossible to fix. It's, an, it's unbelievable to me that even the United States will still not recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. That's, the United States and many other nations will not recognize Jerusalem as the capital. Instead, they put their embassies in Tel Aviv, and Tel Aviv is not the capital of Jerusalem. But they don't want to upset the Palestinians because the Palestinians were given East Jerusalem. And so, you know, heaven forbid, let's offend anybody. So we'll put, our, we'll put the embassies in Tel Aviv. And in other, every other nation, embassies go in the capital. The Palestinians want their capital to be east. Uh, uh, the, the, the Palestinians want their capital to be East Jerusalem, and we wouldn't want to upset the Palestinians. It's a political mess. Benjamin Netanyahu says that the Israeli, Israelis have always said that Jerusalem has been their capital. Israel has become a very heavy stone, which is a fulfillment of Zechariah 12. Now there's the four blood moons. The scripture tells us that before the end, God is going to advertise it in the sky. And in 1948, Israel became a nation. And in 1949 and in 1950, there were four lunar eclipses. Four. In 1949 and 1950, on Jewish holy days, there were four red blood moons. Okay? So significance with the blood moons and things that are happening in Israel. In 1967, there was a six-day war where Israel reclaimed Jerusalem as its capital. So they, they attacked, they got Jerusalem, they reclaimed it as a capital. In 1967 and 68, there were four blood moons on four or four lunar eclipses once again on Jewish holy days. Between 2014 and September 2015, we have had four lunar eclipses or four blood moons. Just four months ago, on the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a blood moon. It was also called a super moon. This is when the moon is at its closest point to the earth. And it's at its closest point, it just happened to be over Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you. We actually had a small group party over at my house the night that the, uh, the September 27th blood moon, ha- blood moon happened. And we didn't, you know, plan it that way. But I remember setting out on our back porch. We, we had a barbecue, and we were watching this blood moon uh, take place. And it was, was really cool. It was cool. It was, it was beautiful. It was crazy to see it happen. But it's interesting because the blood moon that we saw in comparison to the blood moon in Jerusalem was completely different. Look at the picture of the blood moon in Jerusalem. A little different. This is Al-Aqsa. This is the Muslim mosque. This is the Wailing Wall. And at the, at the base of, uh, 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 or at the top of the Wailing Wall is the Temple Mount. And this picture was taken, this blood moon was taken, because, and it's so big, because it just happens that the moon is closest to the earth when it comes around to Jerusalem. It's all, it's all about Israel. Now, how often does this happen? That's a good question, right? Before 1949, it had not happened for about 500 years. The last blood moon before Israel became a nation was in 1492. Do you remember what happened in 1492? <laughs> oh, we're so American. Columbus, <laughs> There's other things happening in the world than Columbus. No, in 1492 was the Spanish Inquisition. 
Do you remember that? Do you remember anything about what was the Spanish Inquisition? The Spanish Inquisition was uh, the persecution of Jews in Spain and the expulsion of every Jew that was in Spain. Huh. So you go back and as far back in history as you want to go with the blood moons, you're going to find that something significant happens in Israel or to the Israeli people when there is a blood moon. After 2015, so after, after September 27th, it will not happen again for another 500 years. So you're not going to see another one. Unless we see it in the millennium. God is hanging an advertisement up into the heavens saying, I am doing something special here, guys. And you better pay attention. So that's one of the other fulfillments of prophecy that we see in these scriptures. The fourth is, is worldwide anti-Semitism and hatred for Israel. Luke 21, 24 says, They will be brutally killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. Now understand, this happened to the Jews uh, in AD 70 when the Roman emperor Titus defeated Jerusalem and he scattered all the Jews all over the world. They were not brought back together as a nation until 1948. And Jerusalem, according to it says, it says in Scripture, and Jerusalem will be conquered and trampled down by the Gentiles until the age of the Gentiles has come to an end. The age of the Gentiles has come to the end. In 1967, when Jerusalem came back into the hands of the Jews after, six, after the Six-Day War, Israel announced that the age of the Gentiles was over. The last days in God's mind, began in 1948. And because of what Jesus says in Luke 21, we know that a single generation will see all end-time prophecies fulfilled. Scripture says, I assure you, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these events have taken place. Now, he's not talking about the generation at the time of Jesus. They all died. He's talking about the generation when Israel becomes a nation again. He's talking about the generation of 1948. Now, you've probably, since you were young, heard people say, you know, I, you know, I know everybody's, everybody's always said that it's the end times. And my parents said it was the end times. My grandparents says it's in the end times. I read scripture where they thought it was the end times. And that's true because there's, there, there's been famine. And it's gotten worse. There's been wars and rumors of wars, which are signs of the end times. And that's gotten worse. There's been natural catastrophes, which are signs of the end times. And those have gotten worse and worse. But never have we had them all together. Not with the blood moons. Not, at the end, not as the end of the generation of 1948 approaches. The end generation will not just have signs. They'll have all of the signs. The Bible says that the end will happen within that last generation. So the question is, how long is a generation? Well, the Bible tells us. Psalms 90.10. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have strength. Yet the span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. So, if it has to happen within the generation of 1948... What is 1948 plus 70? Some of you guys aren't very good at math. 2018. What is 1948 plus 80? 2028. So according to scripture, 
The end is going to come. The rapture is going to come within the, with any time during the last generation. And we know that if the generation began in 1948, then the end of the generation could be 2018 or 2028. Now, what does this mean? It means that most of the people in this room are not going to die. Most of us would say, we got 12 years in us, right? But the truth is, is it could happen tonight. It can happen any time during this generation. But it's not going to happen after 2028. Because this generation will have passed. Isn't that cool? Now, as I say that, anytime we get to end times prophecy and we start talking about the fact that we're at the end or we're close to the end or we're close to the rapture, the devil's going to want to come against you with a spirit of fear. He's going to want to make you fearful of this. And in Jesus' name, we bind the spirit of fear in this room because this is nothing to be afraid of. This is something to celebrate. Nothing to be afraid of. Now, I'm not trying to put the day, the time, or the hour on it. Okay? I've seen that happen. I've seen pastors before. They've gotten up and they've said, I know the day, the time, or the hour. And the Bible says nobody will know the day, the time, or the hour. I don't know why they keep trying to predict it. But Jesus says, you better know the season. You need to know the season. He says that very clear in Luke chapter 21, verse 25. He says, and there will be strange events or signs in the skies. Signs in the sun and moon and stars. And down here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. The courage of many people will falter because of the fearful fate they see coming upon the earth. Because the stability of the very heavens will be broken up. Then everyone will see the Son of Man, which is Jesus, arrive on the clouds with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand straight and look up, for salvation is near. That's what Jesus says. Then he gave them this illustration. He's trying to explain it to us. He says, notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. Just so when you see the events I've described taking place, you can be sure that the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these events have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will remain forever. Watch out, he says. Don't let me find you living in careless ease and drunkenness and filled with the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware as in a, tra- as in a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on earth. Keep a constant watch and pray that if possible, you may escape these horrors and stand before the Son of God. And here's the great thing. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that we will never see the days of tribulation. And we're going to talk in in length on that. Um, We might might be able to get into it a little bit next week. Uh, If not, it'll be the week after that. But guys... The rapture is going to come before that. Jesus is coming back for us so that we can rule and reign with him for a thousand years, for that millennium, and and, and into eternity. This series is to give you hope. 
This series is not there to scare us. Now, understand that, that as I've studied this through the years, um, and I've looked into it, you know, I, I've, I've known that these signs were around, and I've known that it was getting close. But the final blood moons, and with the state that, that, that this culture, this world, technology is in, we are so close. Now, this is what, the, the, what it did for me. Like, it, first of all, I was like, no, no way. And do the math. You look at prophecy and you go, no way. And then I started thinking about the silly things that I worry about that I don't need to worry about. One of the things in particular is uh, my dad uh, a few years ago died of Alzheimer's. And uh, Alzheimer's can be genetic and can be passed down from generation to generation. And so in my mind, I thought, oh, Lord, don't let me get that disease. Because he got it when he was in his 60s. Now, I can do my job from a wheelchair, but I can't do it without my short-term memory. And so I thought to myself, what is it going to be like, you know, if I start to lose my mind? What can I do to keep that from happening? When, you, when I look at prophecy and I look where we're at and I look at the fact that Jesus is coming, I don't have to worry about getting Alzheimer's. I used to get so stressed out about, oh, am I saving enough for the future? Am I, do I, you know, oh gosh, am I, do I have enough of my 401k and all that kind of stuff? Guess what? My, my 401k will uh, become mature in 2028. <laughs> now, listen to me on this. That doesn't mean go sell everything you have and go live in a cave with your AK-47 ready to blast anybody that comes through the door. This is what you need to do. You need to prepare and plan as if Jesus isn't coming back for another century. But you need to be prepared as if he's coming back tonight. So get married. Get, 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 uh, uh, go to school. Have kids. Enjoy your grandkids. Enjoy your life. Don't stress about this because when the bad stuff comes, we'll be gone. We'll be gone. And what a promise. How cool is that, that Jesus loves us so much that he would write a prophetic letter to tell us, this is when I'm coming. Get ready. I'm going to turn the moon red. That'll be different. That'll be cool. And I'm going to make it look the coolest over Jerusalem. These things are going to happen. These guys saw this stuff. They saw these countries and, and, and knew that all these things were going to happen 4,000 years ago, some of them. That is amazing what God has done for us. And how cool is it that we get to be the generation that doesn't have to die? Now, here's the next warning. Don't go tell your friends that you're in an end time study and Pastor Tim says that nobody in the room is going to die. Because this, this is what they're going to say. I told you you joined a cult. <laughs> they can't, and j just like tonight, if I would have come in, if you would have been coming in without all of this foundation, without all this teaching, and I would have whispered in your, your ear, hey, guess what? Uh, Jesus come back, you're not going to die. You would have been like, Come on. But when you see the scripture and you see the proof, it's different. Now, here's the next question that comes up. Am I saved? 
Am I really going to be raptured? Because the rapture of the church is when, when, when Christ calls his people and, and they meet him in the sky. So sometimes people are feel fearful of that. I, you know, am I saved? Am I really saved? I want to make sure that I'm in the rapture. I want to make sure. I want to make sure. I want to make sure. So this is how you make sure. I grew up in a Baptist church, uh, then went to an Assembly of God church, and I went to college at a Southern Baptist University while going to an Assembly of God church. <laughs> so the teaching on salvation and whether you can keep it or you can lose it, those are the two varied spectrums. And in this church at Fellowship, you have the liberty to believe either way. Because the truth is, is if you believe you can lose it, I can't convince you that you can't. And if you believe you can't, I can't convince you that you can. That's been one of the oldest arguments I've had since the Bible was written. People have split churches over it. And so what we say here is, like, you have the liberty to believe how you want. Scripture says, work out your own salvation, right? That's what that means. So this is what I tell people all the time when it comes to this. I say, number one, we know that the only way that you can be saved is you've got to call on the name of the, of, of the Lord. You've got to believe that Jesus is who he is, and you're saved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay? Most famous scripture there is. Now, if, if, if you come from other backgrounds, whether it's uh, Assembly of God or, you know, there's, our, there's some Lutheran churches that believe that you can, believe, you can lose your salvation, this is what they believe that their doctrine says. And understand, I can prove it on both sides. So don't ask me what I believe because I'm not going to tell you because I'll get into trouble. But so those that believe you can lose your salvation, this is the way they believe that you can lose it. You go into a habitual lifestyle of unconfessed sin. <clears throat> if you do that, you're not really saved. And you've got to come back to salvation. You have backslidden. Okay, that's the term that's used. So this is the way we need to live our life. Number one, make sure that you receive Christ as your Savior. You believe in him as your Savior. And number two, don't walk headfirst into a habitual lifestyle of sin where you don't confess, confess what you're doing. Okay? Scripture says, forgive others or Jesus won't forgive you. So forgive the people in your life. That's, so regardless of which side you believe, just don't do that. I don't think any of you want to run off into a rebellion and start, you know, throwing your life away and, and, not, and not want to confess your sins anymore. So this is, what, this is the best way to look at it. I hope that you can't lose your salvation, but I'm going to live as if you can. That's all you have to do. D doesn't matter what side you line up on. Know Jesus. Don't go into a habitual state of rebellious sin. Forgive others. You're going to get raptured. Don't be fearful of it, because the devil's going to want to make you fearful of it. Okay? We are going to be partying in the sky in heaven, and we're going to be looking at each other, and I'm going to be going, I told you it was before the tribulation. I told you. <laughs> told you it was coming. So uh, we are at 8.02, and I have uh, nine more pages of notes. So we're going to actually push the second half of this um, until uh, next week. And uh, so we'll finish up with signs in Israel next week. Then the following week will be uh, uh, signs in our culture. 
And it's just incredible. This series, just I tell you, it just gets better and better. And we've pulled the best of the best, like the best of, of Hagee and, and the best of uh, uh, Jimmy Evans and, and the best of uh, the book, The Four Blood Moons, and we're bringing it all together. And the really cool thing is, is a lot of that stuff was written pre-September 27th. And there has been things that have happened just since June of 2015. And the only fulfilled, unfulfilled prophecies in scripture are the prophecies that are in the tribulation. That's the only prophecies that are left. All of the prophecies up to the rapture have been fulfilled as of September 27th of 2016. 15. Pretty cool, huh? All right. You guys enjoy this? Good stuff? Okay. Let me, let me pray over you, and then I'll let you go. God, we come before you, and we thank you for this incredible time of worship we've had tonight. We thank you, Lord, that we get to do this again next week. And, Lord, I thank you for this time that we've been able to really focus in and, and learn the things that you'd want us to learn and see the signs that, that you've given us because you just love us, God. You love us, and you want us to be prepared. So I pray in Jesus' name right now that you'd continue just to help us to learn soften our hearts. Lord God, I pray for those. I want to pray for every person that we know in our life that doesn't know you or that is running from you. Lord, I pray that something would happen within them that would cause them to come back to you. Lord, we want to see those that we love in heaven. We want to see them in the millennium. And so, Lord God, we pray that that would happen. I would just do miraculous evangelism across the world. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.